Okay, the reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 13 to 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Let's pray again as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, as we've been um, saying to you already this morning, we do need your help, uh, and we need your help now as we turn to your Word. Please teach us, please help us, uh, please help us to understand what you say, and please, by your Spirit, would you help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know those Christians? Have you heard of those Christians? Well, you'll never guess what I've heard about them. Um, they have these meals where they get together, um, and they actually eat human flesh. Well, do you know what I heard? I heard that um, <laughs> part of their group, it's all, it's all kind of brothers marrying sisters and sisters marrying brothers. It's all incestuous, those Christians. If you'd been um, doing your shopping uh, at a Roman market in the first century, those are some of the things that you might have overheard being said about Christians. First century Christians, they talked a lot about brotherly and sisterly love, which some people, without ever looking into it, said, oh, well, that's uh, brothers marrying sisters, that's incest, that's what they're up to. And when they, these first century Christians, when they met together, like us, they celebrated the Lord's Supper, eating bread, symbolizing Christ's body, uh, drinking the cup, symbolizing Christ's blood, which some people, without ever looking into it, said, oh, well, that's them eating human flesh. Uh, crazy conclusions. Well, in our passage today, Peter calls those type of conclusions the ignorant talk of foolish people. The ignorant talk of foolish people. Well, today, those particular rumors and accusations against Christians are long gone. But in their place, there are any number of false accusations and rumors against Christians. Christians are mean. Christians are narrow-minded. Christians are dangerous. Christians are bigoted. Christians are hypocritical. Now, I, I, I've been a part of churches my whole life, and uh, in just speaking from my own experience, in my experience, yes, at times, there has been the odd bad apple and sometimes a really bad apple. Maybe in your experience, you've 
met someone who has been a really bad apple in a church. Occasionally, the accusations are right. But in my experience at least, and I'm not saying this is everyone's experience, but in my experience, when you look at the majority of believers and the majority of churches that believe the gospel, in my experience, they are on the whole safe spaces full of kind-hearted, trustworthy people. That's been my experience. My experience. I think it's been many people's experience. And yet, the, the caricature of the mean-hearted, hypocritical Christian uh, still lives on in many people's heads. So if we're going to get the gospel out to a world that really needs to hear it, we've got to kill that evil Christian caricature uh, that lives on in people's heads. We've got to change people mi people's minds about Christians because it's a hindrance to them hearing and believing the gospel. And last week, we were thinking all about how do we do that? And we, we heard Peter say to us that, in fact, it is, it's good lives, good lives that persuade critics to become Christians. And in this, in this passage this week, we see a similar idea. It's there in verse 15, where we see that uh, Paul, uh, Peter says, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Doing good silences the ignorant talk of fools. So what's going to change uh, what's going to change people's minds about Christians and therefore the gospel? Peter says, doing good, doing good. And as we were thinking about last week, a distinctly good life is a seriously powerful argument for the gospel. But what does doing good look like? Really, that's our question for this week. What does Peter mean by doing good? What behaviors, what attitudes... What mindset does he have in mind when he encourages us to do good and live good lives? That's our question for this week. And I think in this passage, there are two things that Peter uh, draws our attention to, what it means to do good. The first is by submitting to authority. Looking here at verses 13 to 16. Let me read again verses uh, 13 and, and 14. Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Peter calls us to submit to authority. What does submit mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we just nod and smile at those in charge necessarily. It doesn't mean that we necessarily need to agree with um, uh, those in charge. It doesn't mean that we can't use our voice and our vote to challenge those in charge. Submit doesn't mean those things. It means we are to obey. That's really the sense of the word. We are to obey. We are to do whatever we're told to do. Now, we're going to come on to the exception to this in just a moment. But in essence, submitting to authority means obeying. 
And note that we're to submit, Peter says, to every human authority. That is, to all levels of authority, no matter how senior or junior they may be. So back then, for Peter's readers in, in the first century, in their case, they were to submit not only to the emperor, the supreme authority, but also to, to the governors sent by him, both senior and junior. So in our case, it means that we're to obey um, even the uh, part-time voluntary police support officer who's on his first day in the job. Or if you're in school, um, submitting to authority looks like not only submitting to and obeying the head teacher, but also, challengingly, the really rather self-important prefect who's only a few years above you. We're to submit, Peter says, to all levels of authority. Uh, the only exception to that is when what they tell us to do is against what God tells us to do. So, for example, in Acts chapter 4, the Jewish authorities order Peter and John to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And they say, well, no, we can't obey you on that. We must obey God. Or you think about Daniel in the Old Testament in Babylon, who did everything required of him, who was a model of submission. His enemies couldn't find even one law that he had broken until the day that the king introduces a new law that everyone ought to pray to him. And Daniel says, well, no, I can't do that. I must obey God and worship only God. And very occasionally, there will be moments in life when we've, we've got to uh, disobey human authority in order to obey God, and it will likely be very costly for us. But unless what they tell us to do is against what God tells us to do, we are to submit, and this is really the emphasis of what Peter is teaching, we are to submit. Uh, what about, though, when uh, the authorities tell us to do something which is really fairly pointless or unfair or something that which, which we really just don't want to do? So when the, when the when the, when the speed limit's 20 on a road where everyone agrees it should be 30. Or when we're required to pay a license, a TV license fee for a service that really we only use very occasionally. What about those scenarios? Well, I think we'd like Peter to say, well, look, if it's something annoying, don't worry. You can ignore it. But he doesn't. No, he says, submit. And actually, really, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where uh, we really start living distinctive lives. Not just when authority, uh, when authority isn't as, uh, bad, but when it is annoying or unpopular for us. We are to submit. And when we struggle for motivation, which we do, um, just remember those four words in verse 13 giving us the reason we are to submit. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Those are really helpful four words. You know, so paying the TV license fee, what a pain. 
You know, does Gary Lineker really need more money? That's money I could be spending on my holidays. The highway code, what a pain at points. I'm late for work. There are hardly any other cars on the road. Why do we submit to authority in those circumstances? Peter tells us, for the Lord's sake, for Jesus' reputation. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. We submit in order to kill the, the, the wrong caricature that lives in some people's heads and hinders them from considering the gospel for the Lord's sake. And then in verse six, 16, Peter addresses maybe just, I guess, one or two readers who might still be looking for loopholes. Uh, addresses maybe the believer who says, well, look, um, um, why should I pay my tax? God's my boss. Or who's tempted to say, well, I follow Christ, not the laws of the land, or something like that. And to them, I think Peter says, yeah, nice try, nice try, but no. Verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Yes, God's your boss. Yes, you follow Christ. But in the end, what do, they tell, what do they tell us to do? They tell us to submit to authority. In other words, he's saying, look, don't use Jesus. Don't use faith as an excuse to wriggle out of your responsibility to submit just because you don't want to. For the Lord's sake, submit. So that's the first thing um, that Peter tells us what doing good looks like. It looks like submitting to authority. But then secondly, he calls us to, like doing good looks like honoring, uh, but not worshiping authority. Looking here at verse 17, if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. So we're not just to submit to, we're also to honor those in charge, because at the end of the day, they're still people. They're still people made in God's image. And I think this primarily means not slandering authority, which really is a huge challenge, because I think in our culture, we love to hate authority, don't we? It's kind of part and parcel of our culture. It almost feels like our responsibility that we should slander uh, those in charge. And all the more so when it's someone we didn't vote for or don't agree with. But Peter calls us to honor them, honor the emperor, honor them, particularly in how we speak. Um, I, I love watching politics. You might think I'm really sad about that, but I do. I love watching politics. Rishi Sunak, Keir Starmer, House of Commons. I love it. I find it fascinating. Um, but you'll know that the kind of code of conduct in the House of Commons, or at least you'll have picked it up, how they're supposed to speak to each other, how these arch rivals politically um, 
they, they, they disagree with each other vehemently, and yet it's all the right honor, honorable gentleman this, and uh, the honorable member for Chichester that, and so on and so on. That isn't actually just, that isn't just a tradition. That is actually a, a, it's there to protect the honoring of authority so that there can be robust disagreement and healthy argument, but without things descending into your thick, no, your thick, no, and so on. Well, like that code of conduct, Peter calls us to speak honorably about those in authority, even when we didn't vote for them, even when we don't agree with them. We are to speak honorably. We're to watch our language as we speak about them. One writer puts it like this. However godless their persons and policies may be, we are to act with becoming consideration and manners towards them and indeed towards all people in every social context. Honor the emperor. You know, what a privilege we have in this country to have freedom of speech, to be able to challenge and to disagree with authority when needed. But we're not to use that freedom to slander, to dishonor, even though it's very, very common. Because, of course, at the end of the day, um, there's still people. There's still people made in God's image. We are to honor them. So we're to honor those in authority, and yet at the same time, we're not to worship authority. Because at the end of the day, they're just people made in God's image. Verse 17 um, is a genius verse. And back then in, that, in, the, in the first century context, Peter couldn't just come out and say to them, honor the emperor, but don't worship him because he's not God. He couldn't just say it like that because it could really jeopardize the, the safety of those he's writing to. They could get them into serious hot bother. And so instead, he, he, he crafts his words very, very carefully. And this is what he says. This is from the original. He says, honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor everyone, honor the emperor. Do you hear what he's saying very, very carefully? He's saying, treat the emperor as you would treat everyone. Because at the end of the day, he's just a person. Honor everyone, honor the emperor. A very careful way of saying that the emperor, the emperor might think of himself as a god, but you're not to. You're to fear God. You're to worship God. You're to treat God as God, but the emperor will, will treat him as you would any human being, with honor, but not with worship. He's just a person at the end of the day, made in God's image, not the maker. Now, we might think to ourselves, um, you know, come on, as if I'm going to bow down and worship the king or uh, worship the prime minister or something like that. You know, this verse is for them back then, not for us today. Not really. It doesn't really apply. But actually, sometimes we do fall into the temptation of having godlike expectations of our political leaders. And we think to ourselves, maybe we would never say it, but we think to ourselves, oh, if only so-and-so, insert name of favorite politician, if only so-and-so could get in power, then things would really, then we'd enter in this age of prosperity and, and honor, and it'd be wonderful. We expect things 
often that only God can deliver. God-like expectations. And where we're tempted to that, Peter says, no, 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 no. Honor them. At the end of the day, they're still people. But don't worship them, because at the end of the day, they're just people made. We are to submit and honor. And now, just remember again, as we, as, as we kind of wrap this up, that Peter says, if we live like this, we can kill the caricature. We can silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. If we live like this, we can imagine scenarios where in the pub, uh, someone goes off on one about how Christians are dangerous. And someone around the table, Bill, chips in and says, well, it's interesting you say that, actually, because my, my neighbor's a Christian. Um, and he's the most law-abiding person that I know. Um, I don't, I'm not a Christian myself, but he's not dangerous. Not my neighbor. He's not a danger to anyone. Doing good silences the ignorant talk of foolish people. It puts to bed those accusations. So in the office, when someone says, oh, I was watching this thing on telly the other night about Christians and how they're so judgmental, and someone else says, well, do you know, it's interesting you say that because when I was a newly qualified teacher, I really loved teaching Christian pupils because even though my lessons were a bit ropey and even though I didn't have the experience at that point in my career to manage the class, they respected me. And that stood out. They're not hypocritical. They're not judgmental, at least not the ones I taught. Doing good silences the ignorant talk of foolish people. So without even needing to open our mouths, the accusations just run out of steam. And even open up, up, even up, open up avenues um, for the gospel. I heard a really brilliant example recently. Um, the daughter of... An atheist couple was invited to come along to a youth event at my uh, previous church. Um, now, the parents, um, they were really not sure about allowing their, their, their child to go. They'd heard different things about Christians. They weren't sure. Until they clocked that it was Andrew and Kathy's church. Andrew and Kathy um, are their long-term trusted neighbors. They know them well. Oh, fine. Oh, if it's Kathy and Andrew's church, fine. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. That, that, there's no problem there. No problem. You see, submitting to authority, honoring authority, living good lives, silences ignorant talk, serves the cause of Christ, opening up avenues even for the gospel. So for the Lord's sake, will you submit to and honor authority. But then just a final word, as, as, just as we close, maybe just for any, um, and as you're listening, you think, you know, I, 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 you wouldn't call yourself, you wouldn't describe yourself as a believer in Jesus. Um, but maybe you've, you do know uh, believers, and in your experience, you find them to be respectful, honorable, good, obedient. I'm not presuming on that, but it may just be the case. Um, if you have, if that's you, if you have found them to be like that, will you ask them what, what motivates you? Will you ask them 
Why do you care so much about Jesus and his reputation? Will you ask them why those four words, for the Lord's sake, is such a powerful motivator? Because my guess is that if you did, they would tell you all about how amazing Jesus is and about his love for them and about his willingness to die for them on the cross to take away their sins. They'd tell you about his care for them, the fullness of life that he's given, the hope that they have brought them. That's my guess. But don't take my word for it. Ask them. It might just be the most life-changing question you ever ask. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray, please, that you would help us as we seek to live good lives in your service. Help us, Heavenly Father, when what that means is uh, frustrating or uh, boring or um, not something that we really want to do. Help us to submit and to honor for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ because we love him. Help us, we pray, in this. Amen.